Hello, my name is Chuck Lynch, the President of Living Foundation Ministries. It's my privilege to just to take a few moments to spend some time with you to help sharpen probably one of the most important areas that we see take place in the lives of people who are having conflict. Most every relational conflict that I've ever seen has at least one of the core issues at the heart of it, namely the inability to communicate with each other. Now, I true, true. Past personal luggage can hinder present communications. I'm fully aware of that. Aware of that. But may I say to you that your ability to communicate and even work on those past relationships are going to be based on some important communication rules. In fact, every relationship must establish fair communication rules in order to even function well whether they have processed their past stuff or not. You see, often we have to establish these communication rules, or guidelines anyway, in order to work through these past issues. Many times, if I'm dealing with a couple that have serious financial or, or in-laws or children or discipline or even sexual relationship conflicts, before we even are able to get into that topic or those topics, we first have to establish some, some communication guidelines that we're both going to agree with, or all three of us are going to agree with, so as we talk through these things, we'll be able to come to some kind of closure. You say all games, regardless of what kind of games they are, have rules, and the players must agree on those rules before they even play. <laughs> My grandkids, they're a lot of fun. When they get into games, and uh, they get into a place where they may be losing or uh, are not doing so well, they'll come up with another rule. And we have to go back and say, well, according to this sheet of paper here, it says you can't do that. In a, a husband and wife relationship, if one is playing, playing soccer and the other is playing basketball, uh, no one's going to win and both are going to get hurt, especially if one's like playing uh, some kind of hockey and they come out with a helmet and shoulder pads and things like that. The other person comes out in the basketball court with shorts and a tank top. You can tell someone is going to get hurt. Now, uh, one cannot just make up the rules in the middle of the game. There has to be a sitting down and saying, look, all right, these are the rules that we're going to abide by in order to make this relationship free <laughs> work. And the reason all the games that we have printed, they've got printed rules right in there, and we have to decide right at the beginning, we're going to go buy these rules that are printed right here in the box and I'll live the box or on paper, or are we just going to make our own rules? Now, the printed rules should be appealed to when there is a misunderstanding or an argument and that the whatever the printed rules say, that has to be accepted. Now, often in relationships, that doesn't happen. We just make up the rules and we do what we want to do. That's why we don't get anywhere. And so in these few moments we're going to have together, we're just going to encourage you to consider the possibility of establishing some fair communication rules, whether it's between husband and wife, uh, a parent and teenager, or parents and grown children, or maybe your in-laws, or your own grown parents. Whatever the case may be, establish some fair communication rules. Remember, communicating is the same. If we keep communicating the same way that we do over and over again, we're expecting different results, you know as well as I do, that's the definition of insanity or maybe just dysfunction.
But failure to change in your communication style now is a guarantee. Mark it down. It's a guarantee for failure later. You know, Solomon made it clear in Proverbs 14, 12. He said, there is a way or a procedure or a form which seems right to a, per to a person or to a man. They think it's very logical and this is the way we should do it. But he goes on to declare, but the end is the way of death. You have spiritual death, the separation of uh, uh, body and spirit. You have physical death. And you also have relational death, where there's a death, when there's been a separation of two people. That's why in Proverbs 12, 15, it says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. I mean, this is just as logical, and what I'm doing is just as reasonable. However, but a wise man is one who listens to counsel and works these things through. Well, what are... What are 10 basic communication rules that can, that, uh, can get talked through and re result in some healthy, positive direction? Now, you're going to have more on your own. I understand that. This is just kind of a, a, a jump start to get you started because you're going to have a whole lot more than I'm going to have. But if you can even consider the possibility of these as kind of a basis to build on what you're going to do, that'll be a tremendous start. Rule number one. You ready? Now mark this down. Do not interrupt or talk over the other person, but choose to focus to listen. Did you get that? Do not interrupt or talk over the other person. Sometimes in the office, I feel like a traffic cop. Maybe the wife is talking, and the husband will interrupt, and he'll talk over her. And I'll stick out my hand, follow my hand towards him. It's like, excuse me, let her finish. And then later on, maybe he's talking, and she'll interrupt. I said, no, excuse me, stick out my extended palm. I'd say, please let him finish. And here, one person talks at a time. Now, I, that, that sounds very elementary, almost really juvenile. But I'm telling you that because we do not take time out to allow the other person to finish, and I don't mean a dissertation, a long sermon. That's not what I said, but at least a paragraph, at least one complete thought. Why is it important to listen? Well, you may, this may come to a surprise to you, but talking is not the same thing as listening. You go, well, duh, I knew that. Well, I'm not sure. Because it is a ref often the talking is a refusal to make any effort to understand. And instead, they want to have, just have a desire to win an argument or maybe just to defend themselves. Often a, a person, a teenager will say to me, you know what, uh, my parents said they had a talk with me. I said, oh, he said, it really wasn't a talk. It was a lecture. But see, we think talking is communication. No, talking is not listening. James chapter 1, verse 19, you know, the half-brother of our Lord made it real clear. He said, let every man, now you can put husband, wife, teenager, mother, father, whatever. Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Swift means quick, speedy. If you're going to accelerate in this conversation, accelerate your listening and not your talking. Concentrate on what in the world is being said. Someone has said, open your ears before you open your mouth. That's pretty good advice. Proverbs 29, 20 says, look, do you see a person that is hasty in their words? Yeah. Well, there is more hope for a fool than for them. And friend, there's more hope for a fool to have a relationship than there is for you if you continue to practice 
this thing of, interp of interrupting and talking over each other. By the way, jumping to conclusion is probably the most dangerous jump you'll ever make. And many times that jumping to conclusion before a person is listened to and understood creates a tremendous amount of pain down the way. So do not interrupt each other. Talking is not listening. And tolerating, by the way, tolerating the person is not listening. You know, just failing to appropriately respond to a reasonable conversation, that's not uh, talking or interrupting, excuse me, is not communication either. And preparing your defense is not listening. What do you mean by that? Well, oftentimes we, want, we, are, we can listen a whole lot faster than a person can talk. And that's true. I find that myself. I have to sit on my desk or my chair or whatever in my office and a person's talking to me and I have to almost bite my tongue or cross my fingers or something because I know exactly where they're, where they're going to go, what they're going to say, why they're going to say it, but it's important for me to honor and respect them by listening. Proverbs 18:13 says, look, a person who answers a matter before he listens, it is a folly or foolishness and a source of shame to them. You know, furthermore, defenders are losers. That's right. Points are rarely scored by defenders. True, from time to time, say in football, a ball might get stripped away from an offense, from someone in the offense, and the defense takes the ball and goes to a, for a touchdown. That's rare. That's not normal. Usually the only thing that is being defended, however, when we have to find out, when we have to come back and defend ourselves, we have to defend our pride, our worth, our value. And, and if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I hope you understand down deep that your worth and value is in your position in Christ. And you do not need to defend that position. That's a done deal position. And no one can take, you up, take that away from you. Do not interrupt each other. Functional people listen to understand. Dysfunctional ones interrupt. They talk over in order to control. And, you know, for the record, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for understanding, you know what it is? Listening. Listening. So rule number one, do not interrupt each other. Can, I, can you make that commitment? And when you're talking to your son or daughter, can you make that commitment to them, to your husband, to your parents? Can you make that commitment? Rule number two, no name call, calling, but focus on building up instead. No name calling. You see, name-calling is a dysfunctional tactic, and it's usually designed to avoid facing the current issues and to bring it to closure. It's really a defensive uh, tactic as well. The Apostle Paul firmly stated in Ephesians 4.12, let no, by the way, do you know what the word no means? Okay. Let no corrupt word, maga-filled word, proceed out of your mouth. Even the Apostle Peter clearly stated in 1 Peter 3.9, Whatever you do, do not return insult for insult, or evil for evil. I think Jesus stated it clearly in Matthew 5.22, when he says, Whoever says to his brother or spouse, Empty-headed, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire, which is a, a, a trash dump that burns forever. And, and that's pretty clear about not calling each other names. Stupid, dumb, idiot, those kinds of names. Often it can be a, a vain attempt. The name the person doing the name calling, it's a vain attempt on their part of trying to control and they're using shame in order to control another person. 
But may I just tell you right up front here that Jesus Christ did not, not only did away with our sin on the cross, but he also died to take away our shame. And we have no business putting inappropriate shame on another person. In fact, Hebrews 12, 2 says, Look, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friend, Jesus took our sin, and he also took our shame. And we have no business to put inappropriate shame on another brother, sister, husband, a wife, or child. You know, often shame attacks uh, that come like uh, saying, you dummy, and things like that. Uh, when we attack a person like that, that is shame. When, when they do some bad things, when we attack their behavior, but when we use names, stupid, dumb, idiot, or you, you're crazy, those kinds of words are shaming and very hurtful. Remember, control is based on fear. It's not based on faith. And if you're using uh, name-calling as a way of controlling a person, that's very inappropriate. You know, may want, we may want to control others out of our own fears and use name-calling as a means. Actually, control is never based on faith. When we have to control people, places, and things, it is based on fear. So name-calling is a form of verbal cannibalism. You say, well, where do you see that? Well, Galatians 5.15 makes this observation. But if you bite and devour one another, and not literally, he's talking the context of verbal conversations. If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And I tell you, it's a grossly sight, as you've seen some carnage from uh, bombs and explosions around the world and, and terrorist attack, and you see the mutilated bodies, and you, you just go into almost kind of a shock, uh, just a, a repulsion inside when you see that. And that's from bombs and things like that. But you know, when we, when we bite, take big chunks out of a person verbally, we're left with a pretty ugly sight, and we really have a hard time relating to a person who has that very ugly appearance. In fact, uh, verse 15 that we just quoted, Galatians 5.15, is preceded with verse 14. And notice what it says. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on and talks about the biting. So there needs to be a replacement there. So the second thing here is do not, whatever you do, result in name-calling, but instead focus on building each other up. The third game rule, and I would strongly suggest you consider, is absolutely no issue hopping. Or, instead, but focus on the issues one at a time. Now, what do you mean issue hopping? Oh, by the way, this also includes going to the History Channel, you know, do you remember when you, or blame shifting? Well, look who's talking. These are all forms of issue hopping. You, maybe you'll be talking about the car keys. Why did you put the car keys? Where are they at? And for, well, I forgot uh, where I put them. You're always forgetting. I remember back when we was at your parents' house, and you forgot to, and all you know, before you know it, you go on to about 15 different things then, and totally forget what you initially started to discuss. You see, issue hopping is a tactic designed to, designed to avoid staying focused especially staying focused on, on the issue at hand. Usually, it's out of a, a feeling of guilt or the feeling of losing the argument. So, 
I'll just I'll shift over here and attack and issue hop or do something like that. Many times a couple, as I said earlier, uh, that I've been working with, they cannot remember. <laughs> they cannot remember how the argument started, but they know it was it took two hours to argue because they start on one issue and issue hopped all over the place from Dan to Beersheba. It went over the whole last 20, uh, 25 years of their marriage. But what should we do instead? Try to verbally acknowledge the other person's position instead of issue hopping. I mean, how do you do that? Well, you know, the person can share something with you. and You can come back and say, okay, I acknowledge your position. Now, don't put but in there. I have a different one, but I do acknowledge your position. Just keep the old B-U-T-T -T out of there. Acknowledge it. You see, remember, acknowledgement, especially acknowledgement of the other person's position, does not necessarily mean that you agree with them, but at least it communicates you have heard their perspective. I cannot stress this enough. Just acknowledging, just acknowledging the existence of another person's position is very often very positive, a very positive step forward. However, controllers, they refuse to acknowledge because they feel if they acknowledge the other person's position, they lose power. And remember, power is only exerted out of fear. It is never exerted out of faith in that kind of a context. So no issue hopping. If necessary, you know, restate in your own words what you've heard them say without judging it or evaluating it or correcting it or interpreting it. In fact, uh, very often, as I've said many times and I've been told many times myself, just mirror back. Just say, am I hearing you say? Don't come back and hear, I'm hearing you say you don't love me anymore. No, they just said they didn't want you to yell at them. Or, I, I don't, I, what I'm hearing you say is you don't care how I feel. No, that's not what they said. They said they just don't want you to shut down on them. You see, when you interpret or correct or, or judge what's being said, you're not reflecting it. Some people call it mirroring. You can do the same thing. Just mirror back. No issue hopping. Stay right with the issue step at a time. You say, well, Chuck, what happens if another serious issue comes up in the conversation? No problem. Someone just make note of the other issue, you know, and then make some kind of comment that you're welcome to return to this one and address it another time, maybe later on the next day or in the conversation. But what do you do? Make note of it. If the other person says, but I want to do it right now, they're breaking the communication rule. And honestly, if someone's going to play hockey, when we agreed to play basketball, there'll be no game. You see, issue hopping rarely leads to closure of any issue. I have had people who have come to me with, with 10, 20, 30, 40 years of issues that have been, they start out with a pickup truck and they filled that up and then they, they had more issues and they bought a, a 40-foot trailer and they filled that up and then they bought a bobtail trailer with another 40-foot trailer. They have two 40-foot trailers and they're trying to pull this thing on the Volkswagen. They can't figure out why the marriage isn't going anywhere. And quite often, if we, when we've established these fair communication rules here, some call them the fair fighting rules, but I call them communication rules. When they establish these rules, then they go through and process to closure each issue and empty out those trailers. And I have found that if they will just use guidelines like these and others that they come up with, and we go through maybe three or four issues, quite often they say, you know, hey, we got this down, Pat. We can handle it ourselves. And they do, because we're teaching them tools. So that's what I strongly suggest. 
you know, make note of those issues and make a, a, a promise to come back to them. And again, issue hopping rarely leads to closure, and we've said that already. And many times it just goes, uh, first it'll start off with the, the issue, and uh, after the issue they drop down to name calling, issue hopping, and things like that, and then they drop down to question whether or not they want to stay in this relationship. And that's the anatomy of an argument. But if you stay on number one, you will never get down to number three. And that's a promise. So no, no, rule number three, whatever you do, no issue hopping. History channel, those kinds of things. Number four, no outbursts of anger. But focus on controlling your temper or your emotions. Why? Now, there's, a very, there's a lot of good reasons for this. First of all, anger is designed to do at least seven things. And these are not positive things. The first uh, thing that anger tends to try to accomplish is to control the other person. To control the other person. God never designed a relationship for one person to control another issue. Because the ninth fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Not people, not places, or things control. You see, God calls it lording over another when we tend to try to control them with our anger. We see that in 1 Peter 5, 3. As I've mentioned earlier, controllers are usually fear-based, not faith-based. And can I just insert something right here, if I may? Kind of a sidebar. How often I have heard uh, men in, in very firm and, and angry tones tell their wives to submit. Submission is a very biblical concept. But you know there's not a verse in the Bible that tells a man to do that. That's God's circle of responsibility. And when a man does it, he is lording it over, lording his authority and power over another. And God strictly forbids that. Because in 1 Peter 5, 3, he says, Go on and be an example. And often we will try to control. Uh, instead of being an example, we try to control. And God says that's really wrong. Controllers are fear, not faith-based. We've talked about that. And fear-based controllers are usually self-centered. I've never met a controller who's not self-centered. Here is God, the center of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave tremendous flexibility to his disciples. So anger, in a negative way, can be used to control a person. Also, anger can be used to try and change another person or to manipulate them. And I just strongly acknowledge this right up front that if you're using anger to control your children, you're in for a huge surprise and a disappointment. You see, anger never, never produces an, an end that is pleasing to God. That's why in James 1.20, God makes it clear, for the anger of man, or a mate, husband, whoever, does not produce the righteousness of God. It never has, it never will, it's just not going to happen. You say, well, but these pers this person really needs to change. This child needs to respond. That's very true. But ultimate change is in God's circle of responsibility, friend. It's not in yours. Why? Because in Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God who has worked in you to do two things. First, to work on your will, both to will, and secondly, and to do of his good pleasure. That's both of those. Another misuse of anger is to avoid the feelings of guilt or fear or other negative feelings. Sometimes you'll mention something to someone 
and they'll get angry. Well, one of the reasons they get angry is because they're feeling guilty. And so when they feel guilty, that's such a negative feeling. They don't want to feel it, so they shift over to anger. King David did this when Nathan the prophet confronted him for his adultery. David went ballistic over the rich man stealing the poor man's only sheep. That Nathan said, hmm, thou art the man. Immediately, David knew his cover was blown, and he finally said, I have sinned against the Lord. But his initial response to guilt was anger, and Nathan just brought him right back to the sin and nailed him for it. So many times a person's afraid they'll, go ang they'll get angry. But remember, it does not produce the righteousness of God or right behaviors in other people. You can use anger to manipulate. That's similar to number one and two. Uh, you can use anger to avoid personal responsibility for wrong words or actions or attitudes. When, when you have a responsibility you need to fulfill, you can get angry in order to keep from fulfilling it. In fact, sometimes we use anger to remove an obstacle that prevents us from accomplishing our own will. If we want to do something and someone will let us do it, we get angry. And the goal of that anger is to try to bowl our way through, push our way through, in order to get them to leave us alone or allow us to do things our way. And of course, there's the seventh unhealthy use of anger is to exact revenge or a payback. Romans 12, 19 says, never, never take your own revenge. It does not say revenge should not be meted out. That's not what this says. It just says never take your own revenge. Well, what are we supposed to do? Leave room for the wrath of God. Get out of the way so God can zap them. It's like God wants to fire at them, but you're standing in the way. Because the scripture quoting the New Testament, quoting the Old Testament, says, Vengeance is my responsibility. I will repay, says the Lord. Remember, anger is very dumbing. What do you mean dumbing? We usually do the next dumb thing when we get angry. That's right. Also, anger injects a fear in the listener. And that fear just shuts their mind down and prevents them from hearing or responding. So if you want to be heard, Eliminate the anger. Talk to them civilly, adult to adult, or in a healthy way. Rule number five. Rule number five. Avoid use of hot buttons. Now, what do you mean use of hot buttons? Well, first of all, you've got hot button words. But what do you mean words? Well, for example, anytime you say you and you <laughs> stick your finger straight out, as I'll be talking about later on, you, every time you say you, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. And then the word always. Now, there's another hot button word, always. No one always does everything, always. But you see, that's the word, when, we, when someone may do it frequently, we say always. Or we use the word never. If you really want to, to throw some gasoline on the fire, use never. You never, and that's not true. It may be frequent, but it isn't true always. And then those words, if only you, and those, those words, if only. Those are hot-button words. These kinds of words only incite further fighting, further argument, and they do not produce a healthy relationship, if that's what you're after to get. Then there's hot-button past failures or weaknesses or forgiveness issues. There may have been something that the person did wrong in the past, and in the midst of a present argument, they'll just reach into the bag and bring out this forgiven issue and club them over the head 
Well, I'm strongly telling you right here now, never, never throw up a past event to hurt, to punish, or shame a person in the present. That is totally contrary to the rules of a healthy relationship. Now, if you're planning on ending the relationship and you don't give a rip, then forgive what I just said. But I'm telling you, if you go back to the History Channel, and you go back to old things, oh, you, I remember one time you, you know, but something they did. Yes, they did it. It was wrong. Yes, what they did was wrong. But if it's been forgiven, the word forgiveness does not mean you forget. It means I purpose in my heart not to bring it up against you again. That's different. You say, well, what if they've, what if I forgive them? Does this mean I have to automatically trust them? No, trust and forgiveness is two separate issues. We can talk about that another time. But here, we're talking about avoid those hot button things of going back and say, we would just, you just remember the time you did this with that woman. Well, let me tell you, friend, that is an unfair fighting rule. And that needs to stop. So avoid whatever you do, hot button issues, words, weaknesses, failures of the other person. And very close to this, number six, avoid physical signs of disgust. Now, this includes sighing. <sighs> oh, my. Where you just exhale, and it's just a sigh. And that's a nonverbal communication of rejection right there. Then how about rolling the eyes? That's right, rolling the eyes. You roll them upwards. That's a form of physical disgust and rejection. And then the proverbial putting your hands on the hips. Or the one that the kids really like a lot is the finger pointing, where you take your index finger and put it down their throats and pointing at them. That is a, a very, very, very inappropriate way of showing a sign of disgust. Also, getting the person's face and cornering them and talking them firmly, going, getting right up and right into their face, that is totally off base according to the rule books of a healthy relationship. Now, if you don't want the healthy relationship, you want to blow your relationship and destroy it, I can't stop you. But I'm strongly suggesting that you look at these fair communication rules and consider incorporating them and playing by them and enjoying the game. Number seven, no pouting. No pouting or silent treatments. Now, one of the reasons this happens, and usually more by men, I know, but women do it too, this is designed to protect yourself from being hurt again. I understand that. Some people say, I just don't like to fight. I don't like to argue. I understand that. I'm not a real uh, champion of that function myself. But see, it's also designed to punish the other person, to hurt them emotionally by withdrawing your love, your care, your admiration. Sometimes uh, uh, parents of adult children or grown children if they offend their mother, offend their father, they, the, maybe the mother and father just choose not to talk to them. It's a form of punishment. And punishment, again, is God's responsibility. It is never, never, never our responsibility to do that. But if you are pouting to punish, then often what happens, that person who, who is being given the cold shoulder often has a fear of being abandoned. And then that's, that's a weakness in their own life that needs to be processed. And we, we tap into that weakness as a form of control. And God makes it clear that is inappropriate. You see, it is our responsibility to go to them and not to run from them. We're told in Matthew eighteen fifteen, if your husband, wife, whoever hurts you, go and tell them between you and him alone how they hurt you. And if your husband or wife hears you, you've gained that relationship back. But if he does not listen to you, 
involve a third party like your pastor or a close friend. Because we're told in Scripture, make it, and it's very clear there to, that we're to lift, bear, carry one another's crushing overloads. And sometimes a conflict is a, is a crushing overload. And it fulfills the law of Christ. This really, really, really means a lot to God when we do that. And true, sometimes there, is, there may be a need for a, a temporary timeout that you might need to use to, to cool off, to uh, prepare maybe for a discussion at a later time, take a walk. Uh, even major labor unions with, with management, the government will come in and say we need a cooling off period. Uh, because tempers and emotions are flying, the logic isn't, but the emotions are. It's okay to take a time out. But what's important to say, if you take a time out there to cool off, that you use it to do that and not to avoid the issue. Use the time to cool off, to rethink what is really taking place here. Not just what they're doing wrong, but maybe what you're saying and maybe what you're not hearing. That might be very helpful. Because this leads into to rule number eight. Do not walk away. From affirming, without affirming, you will return and continue the process at a specific later time. Now, often I will have uh, uh, people say to me, they, they just walk away and, and then they get followed from room to room, which is the next point I have down here. Do not follow the other person around from room to room. See, following a person around is often done by one who can't stand to leave an issue unsettled or because the one pursued rarely is willing to revisit the issue later or if ever and they they just keep falling around and saying you've got to talk about this but you say if you can say i i do need a time out i need i need to go out in the garage and, and piddle around for a while and just let me my thoughts but i will come back but going from room to room to room to room following the person is very 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 unhealthy for the relationship why because when a person is done talking they are done talking. Now, you may say, but I don't want them to be done talking. Well, that's not your choice. That's their choice. Some domestic violence is triggered by the failure of one person to allow another person to call a timeout. They just, they just not allow them to do that. You see, taking a timeout can help you calm down, allow yourself to return to clear thinking, and that would be very important. Whatever you do, uh, Definitely avoid the lectures, the monologues, um, late-night marathon talks. Many times that is a form of control and abuse. I've had you know, mates tell me, you know, my husband or wife wakes me in the middle of the night and they want to get right into a heated argument and the other one's just trying to find, <laughs> just trying to wake up. That can be a very a dangerous situation and a form of abuse. But do not walk away without first affirming affirming again that you're willing to return and continue the process. And you may have to set up a specific time. Would it work for you if we readdress this at 7 o'clock tonight or tomorrow night at 6 or after the kids go to bed at, at 9? You know, make it a specific time. But whatever you do, don't just drop it and try to go away because no emotion, no conflict is ever buried dead. It gets down in the basement and just rattles around over and over and over again. And that's so sad. You know, commit yourself to deal with the issues. Can, can you do that? Can you say from this moment on, I commit myself to hit head on the issues that are facing this relationship situation I'm dealing with. Because failure to do this will allow the issues to either grow into a monster or just accumulate, to un accumulate unbearable luggage.
And after a while, you just get tired. And the relationship becomes a form of existence, and there's no quality of life at that point. It is very important, very important. In terms of this, you know, do not walk away without affirming your return, that you honor the other person's time out and some space that they ask for. It's important that you honor that. Again, if they're saying they want a timeout, they want space, but they, they say but they're never going to come back to this issue, that's something else. There may be a need, again, here to bring a third party in to help bring some reconciliation. That's totally acceptable here at this point. But whatever you do, make that commitment. You may not like it. You say, well, will they get angry? Well, I've just told you one of the fair fighting rules here, we don't use anger. We use a civil, consistent, low tone voice and to communicate and work hard at listening and understanding. Rule number nine. This is a real simple one. Absolutely no physical attacking, which includes shoving, biting, poking, throwing things, grabbing. None of that. None of that. None of that. Because I'm going to tell you something. Once this kind of behavior starts, it creates such a violation of a boundary inside of a person. They many times do not recoup from that kind of physical behavior. It's a physical violation. It's hard to fully understand why, but when that kind of behavior becomes a consistent program, sooner or later, there's going to be a major loss. You say, well, what's, what's rule number 10 then? <laughs> you know what rule number 10 is? Agree on the rules. Mutually agree on the rules. And by that, we're talking about it isn't just his rules, just her rules, but our rules. And then if we cannot mutually agree on the rules, fine. Get a third party. Allow someone to fulfill the law of Christ for you and for them by coming alongside and says, all right, let's talk about these rules here. And you know something? There can be a mammoth change to take place in a relationship. What I strongly suggest is that you get, you write these rules down, and then you place them on the refrigerator door. You say, the refrigerator door? Why there? And or in the bathroom on your mirror. You say, well, why would I put them so public? Well, when people come over and say, what are those? And say, oh, those are our, our fair communication rules. We, uh, when we have our fights, these are the rules we fight by. And they go, oh, oh <laughs> you people fight? Yeah, just like you do. Of course, there'll be a little bit of chagrin as you see that especially when the children see these things. If you're an adult and you've got these rules and you plaster these, do these rules on your refrigerator door and the kids come by and say, hey, Dad, what's this? Mom, what's that? Say, oh, those are fighting rules or communication rules that, that your, uh, your dad and mom are going to abide by so we can communicate and understand each other. And then uh, you can turn to them and say, you know what? We're going to use the same with you and you with us. Then you go over with them. Ask them how they feel and see if they'll accept these things as well. Because I'm telling you what, training up a child, if you can train a child to learn how to communicate and, and discuss on heavy issues fairly, what a tremendous benefit they're going to have in their marriages and your grandchildren. Because these, they, they learn to communicate and watch you doing in the marriage. Now friend, that's my heart's desire for you. Linda and I have to work at these every day. It's not something that we just make a decision and follow through. Quite often, if I interrupt her and I catch it, I go, oops, excuse me, I was wrong, please finish. If she does it to me, she goes, oops, excuse me, I was wrong, please finish. Because we do that. We interrupt each other. 
But as soon as we can catch ourselves, we stop saying, oh, excuse me, I was wrong, please finish. And when we're able to do that, then we're able to listen to each other and try to understand each other. And there's tremendous healing, we understand, talking heart to heart through these fair communication rules. Thank you, friend. May you go out and enjoy a better communication style with someone you love and have a better quality of life for your benefit in God's glory. Bless you.